Hi, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spectrum's webinar. My name is Sophia. I organize Spectrum's webinars for you and bringing the community together through learning at Spectrum. So for those of you who are new to Spectrum, so aside from organizing online events such as this webinar, we also do in-person events. We offer curated workspaces for community experience and also connections to expand your business. So for today, we are privileged to have uh, HR experts on the panel to discuss on HR changes through COVID-19, the challenges and opportunities. So let me introduce the panelists for today. So first up, I have Evelyn Chow. Evelyn is the founder and principal consultant of Decode HR, a strategic HR consulting firm based in Singapore. So she works with clients to develop strategies and programs in areas of strategic workforce, workforce planning, talent acquisition, talent management, and leadership development, amongst a few others. So she's passionate about leveraging technology and helping clients understand HR technology to help propel their human capital programs to greater heights. So she's also an advocate of age, agile HR. So Evelyn will be sharing her perspective in areas where she works closely with her clients on their HR strategies and requirements, especially during the COVID-19 uh, period. So next up, I have Lee Nalalinga. So Lee manages the people function at Aviva. He is a HR leader with more than 15 years of experience working with over 100 MNCs spanning more than 70 countries. So he has built two multi-million dollars consulting teams and delivered over $100 million in cost savings and efficiencies during the course of his career. So with his vast experience, his perspective being in and working with MNCs will add great insights into this panel discussion. And next we have Nina Alatsuri. Nina is the founder and CEO of Shopa AI. Um, Shopa AI is founded in 2017 to disrupt the traditional search business. So uh, she is an uh, electronics engineering uh, professional and has been an entrepreneur for 21 years by choice. So her perspective and technology adopted in HR recruitment and trends, especially in the current situation, will add useful takeaways into this panel discussion. So the moderator for today is Jeremy Ong. So Jeremy is the co-founder and heads the People Experience Management in Golden Equator. So his role focuses on talent management. He also champions the company culture and is the HR strategic business partner to the various businesses under the Golden Equator group, which includes Spectrum. So who best to moderate today's panel session? So before I hand it over to Jeremy, um, participants, if you have any questions, feel free to post them on the platform. So um, over to you, Jeremy, without further ado. Thank you. Thank you, Sophia, for the introduction. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. The COVID-19 global pandemic has created an impact affecting workers, leaders, and businesses globally. Many nations had to declare a state of emergency and impose lockdown protocols. Suffice to say, the coronavirus has ushered in the world's largest work-from-home experiment. Companies and workers globally were thrown into a deep end of something that they have never experienced before in their lives. This has raised many questions. 
How do companies manage the sudden shift? How do HR leaders tackle the challenge of keeping employees safe, engaged, and motivated? How does technology and innovation play a part in all this? Are there opportunities for positive transformation in our work culture, processes, and mindset? In the next hour or so, our distinguished panel will shed some light on these questions. So let's jump right in. First off, let's talk about key challenges that businesses and, employee, uh, that bus businesses and employees face during this transition. So to open the discussion, Evelyn, this is the first time Singapore has gone through a circuit breaker and a lot of businesses had to shift to remote working, given that the authorities have clustered the essential and non-essential services. So as a HR consulting firm, many of your clients will have reached out to get advice on how to deal with the situation, including business continuity measures, best practice for remote working. So what were the initial challenges faced by businesses that needed to make this big adjustment? And how quickly were they able to do that? Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I would say that um, at the beginning, many companies were still trying to find their footing as to the right measures to adopt and to make sense of the measures and restrictions that the government agencies were introducing. I think if you recall, um, it first started with uh, travel restrictions that got more and more stringent to the point where you know, um, travel was just not allowed at all. Um, so during that time, uh, indeed, for you know, a couple of days, there was a lot of um, uncertainty. Um, but we were able to work with our clients to put in place um, uh, clear policies and processes that help them to understand you know, what it means to in put in place these distancing measures and how do you split your teams and um, how do you make sense of you know, uh, what is essential and non-essential services. So we had clients in the essential services sector as well, um, which meant that they, they still actually had to um, carry on with their operations. Uh, but it also meant being very careful um, you know, in working with them to ensure that the employees receive adequate protection while they continue with the operations of the company. And I think um, beyond that, um, I think many companies you know, uh, have actually now put in place these measures. But beyond that, what we have observed was that companies that um, started first, even before the government actually introduced mandatory measures, companies that were more prepared, that put in more thought, uh, were definitely able to um, anticipate what was um, coming and be better prepared for it. And we can certainly see that it made a difference um, in terms of very clear structured workflows, processes that were in place. And of course, with um, business continuity plans, uh, you know, which were very essential. But we also observed that um, in some instances, um, there, were no, there wasn't sufficient redundancy built into um, the system, which meant that when it comes to splitting of teams, there were um, you know, companies that struggled because um, they needed to make sure that, that there was adequate um, support and coverage at any one time. So that was something that um, I think some, some companies were not that well prepared for. Um, so I think even now, companies can still continue to think about how they can train their teams to make sure that they can cover well for each other um, and make sure that the services do not suffer and that teams are adequately trained. So I think that is still something that's very important for organizations today. Right, and um, you know, is there any technology that you would recommend to help them ease the process? 
Um, in terms of remote working, um, I think many companies have actually gone into um, the use of Zoom, for example. Uh, or, you know, because of what we have heard about Zoom, some companies actually ban the use of Zoom. But other video, video conferencing tools and technology, collaboration tools, um, and even tools that will help them to uh, work together as teams. For us, we use um, Trello, for example. And we have a system of checking in daily as a team, which really helped us to align. Uh, and we have actually just implemented um, a communication platform, Beekeeper, to make sure that the team um, is able to be aligned in terms of work and social activities, sharing of our lives, basically staying connected. Right. And what I gather, I think is, um, you know, what you're saying is communication is really key during this time. And I do agree because internal comms should be succinct, transparent, and relevant to our situation, you know, with uh, an ability to reach the right people at the right time. Otherwise, important messages get lost. Absolutely. I guess, you know, um, some organ, uh, improving internal communications could perhaps be one of the most important digital transformation projects at this time. Very, very key, I would say. Um, in fact, the internal communications part is in some instances more important to, to ensure it's in place before you think about external communication because right. when internal communication starts to break down when people um, start to um, work very separately you actually can see um, shifts you can see cracks starting to form um, and and i think you know over this period of time since the government in singapore has um, mandated um, these uh, work from home measures, we have seen companies that uh, really have to work that much harder in order to ensure that their teams continue to collaborate well. Right. Thank you, Evelyn. Moving on, some organizations have already practiced telecommuting long before COVID, like you said, right? But with the circuit breaker, um, you know, for essential services, surely the ripple effects are much greater. Moving on to Lee, with financial services being an essential service, how does the COVID and circuit breaker impact workers and their day-to-day -day operations in general? Cool, thank you, Jeremy. Um, I guess there's two core things within a Singapore context. You know, the first is regulatory. You know, so it's for anyone, if I think about insurance specifically, uh, anyone who's dealt with an insurance agent is used to having to meet them face-to-face, -face, right? Um, and so, there's been a, a really interesting disparity between two sets of organizations, one who were already ahead of the curve and so were prepared for this and the others who were not, you know, but a lot of the, the, the caution or the speed at which people could adopt um, was not so much based on the organizations themselves, but actually guidance from regulators because um, the, the last thing you want to do, right, is say, is, uh, have someone sell, sell someone a financial policy or a credit card or something in a way that is uh, illegal <laughs> because the ramifications for that. So, so kind of you wanted to run fast, but necessarily weren't willing to, or others that had actually thought about this two years ago and were already doing things a certain way. So there's that kind of lens to it. The second lens to that, and this is the most surprising one to me, is the pace at which digital within financial services has been adopted in Singapore because I naturally think of Singapore as the world leader in innovation for everything, right? You know, DBS is the world's best digital bank. But actually, when you think about, if I look at life insurance, for example, um, 
Life insurance, Singapore is the second worst performing life insurance market for digital transactions in Asia. Um, the only other, the only country they beat, I'm sure they're proud, is Malaysia. <laughs> it's like 33% and 32%. But even places like Thailand, India, Hong Kong are all in advance of that. And so there's, there's kind of two layers of it. One was the regulatory and the challenges that had to be overcome there. And secondly, is, is almost the cultural that you still sit down and have a coffee and, you know, still do a lot of things in the old way and more relationship driven than uh, that. And so those have been probably the, the, the two real things that have, um, that, that have had to kind of uh, be looked at. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. So, you know, business as usual practices have taken a back seat, you know, we are uh, thrown out our window. Basically, we are, we are seeing a yeah. big shift in the habits of behaviors of consumers. So businesses are scrambling to move from offline to online to market their products. There's a rise in the number of webinars, as you can see. Mm. So how, how and what are some innovative ways in which companies could operate during, during this time to cope with the situation? Yeah, so that's a good question. I, I guess my answer could be kind of controversial here because the, you know, my, 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 my personal viewpoint on this is what is the definition of, of innovation, right? Because if we look at things, if we take away the lens of what we all do in the office every day, you know, is sending emails when not at their desk innovative? No, like, you know, we've been able to do this for what, the last 20 years, right? Is the concept of Skype revolutionary? No, we've been, you know, we, we've had this since 2003, 2004. So is video conferencing or the ability to telecommute in a, in a way innovative? No, you know, if we think about WhatsApp and the ability to communicate or manage communications, if we think about Dropbox, Google Drives, VPN, SharePoint, um, you know, just flexible working hours, is, is any of this innovative? Um, and, and so if I was to be overly harsh, I would argue that those firms that are struggling to, you know, look at these innovative solutions now, I'd actually point a spotlight back at them and say, what were you doing for the last 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I know that's going to be overly harsh and, 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 you know, that may be offensive to some, but the truth is that a lot of these practices have been around. You know, there were 4 million people working remotely in the US in 1997. So the technology has been there. It's been more, I think, innovative in terms of people actually thinking and taking a step back and going, hey, why do we actually have to be in the office every day? <laughs> you know, and if I think about that from an Aviva lens, you know, Aviva also, we're an insurance company. Insurance is not always the most, um, you know, disruptive um, from that lens, not to be disparaging to the industry because there were many smart people and, and awesome products. But, um, you know, even for us, I think we have 93% of our people working remotely now. But the question was, why didn't we have this before? You know, so I, th I think that's more the, in the, the innovation I would look at is just people actually question it more. Why weren't we doing this before than the technology? Because I think all the, the solutions were there. Right. So, so the outbreak has, uh, has hasn't really triggered a need to push the boundaries of innovation, but maybe acting as a catalyst to what was eventually... More as a catalyst. Of. There, there were obviously organizations that are, you know, even us in Singapore, and I'm conscious, I know there are people on this webinar not from Singapore, but, you know, restaurants now finally selling on Deliveroo because they weren't before, you know, they, they, there's obviously businesses that are affected by this, like in manufacturing or manual labor or so on, who are having to reevaluate their entire business. 
But I think for the bulk of the traditional white collar kind of career paths we have, if you used a laptop or a computer, you never had to be in the office in the first place, right? Right. Thanks, thanks, Lee. Um, okay, let's move on to um, let's move on to uh, speaking about people in the company. Um, yeah. So in in some companies, employees enjoy working from home entirely you know, as it fits the business model. They have been doing it for some time now. So however, there are those who find adjusting a, a huge challenge. So the sudden change could very well affect productivity, engagement and staff morale. So back to you, Lee. Um, I have another question. How do companies keep employees engaged and motivated? During yeah, this so I, yeah, so that's, that's a good question. And I think there were, there were two answers to this because there's the one which is about managing work remote employees and keeping them engaged and then keeping them engaged in this environment, right? Because the high level answer would be, there shouldn't be much difference. Fundamentally, if a manager is doing their job correctly, you know, so like me with my team, I'll hold my hand up here and say, look, I have a team, I'm a manager. If I am selling their objectives correctly, I've provided them with a purpose and I'm measuring the output in the right way then they're going to be doing those tasks whether they're in the office or not, you know, at a high level. Um, whether the work in, in, in the office or out of the office, the norm is relatively the same. Um, but I think what this is exposed from a traditional working from home model is it exposes employees and managers that weren't necessarily that productive in the office before, but could get away with it because that employee looked really, really busy because they were sat at the desk the whole time, but they were looking at their smartphone on Facebook or, or whatever else, right? Um, and likewise with some of the managers, especially people who are micromanagers, all of a sudden they can't keep on checking on the work every hour. So then it's like, well, actually, what are they doing with their time in, in terms of that? So there's that kind of answer I have there. I think the biggest struggle with this that you highlight is in this specific time, these aren't normal work from home times, right? Like I know a, I know a, um, someone who's just quit um, her job because she's got the full flexibility. She's got a very supportive husband, but she also got three kids under the age of 10. And one of them just had to make a decision, not because they can't balance the working from home itself. It's just they're also trying to homeschool three children under the age of 10, right? And I think that's the biggest struggle with this. And it's on organizations to look at employees and actually say, you know what, forget about work-life balance. We need to look at work-life integration, right? You've got, if you've got three kids in there under 10, I'm not expecting you to be online from nine till six. Maybe you're going to get in a couple of hours at, seven till nine before the kids are doing their stuff. Maybe you're going to do a few hours in the evening, but whatever you need to do, as long as you hit your deliverables, it doesn't matter whether you're working two hours a day or nine hours a day, as long as you're getting the work done and which hours those are in the day. Um, and it's, it's employees having that flexibility around the engagement to go that extra mile to understand that these aren't normal work from home times either, because normally you don't have your, your wife or your husband or your children or, you know, even just a dog if you're single and living alone, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. To manage all of that. And I think that's the core around the engagement, really, that, that firms need to be looking at now. Actually, right. it's interesting you said that if I may jump in quickly, Jeremy, just yeah. to share. Sure. I think one of the challenges, you know, even when we speak with our associates, our friends, 
is that people are actually putting in far more longer hours than before. True. That's true. Mm. So, you know, I think engagement is there, but I think the other thing to watch out for is burnout, which is, right. yeah. I think, something that is very real because um, you could, you know, in the past, go out for one hour lunch with your colleagues and then come back. But these days... Now we are doing 10-minute lunches. Exactly. <laughs> so I think these are, you know, the issues that we, we need to be very, um, you know, uh, concerned about because it can actually cause fatigue, uh, burnout, and, and, and it can really affect the well-being of, of our workforce and our teams. Right which yeah. could eventually affect engagement and performance. Right. Even, hold that thought. Even, sorry, cut in. Hold that thought. We'll, we'll get uh, to the next point uh, sure. you know, on, on mental health. But I, I would like to rope in, Nina. Uh, do you have some thoughts to share from your perspective? Thanks, Jeremy. Um, yeah. Um, like Lee said, these are not normal times. You know, this is not a normal time of working at home. Uh, these are very extraordinary times. The lines have blurred between your personal life and your professional life, and it's all got intertwined now. So um, I think the first thing first is that the CEO is no longer a CEO, but a chief empathy officer now. Um, it's really important that this comes from top down, uh, you know, this culture of empathy. And uh, let's also realize that, you know, if you look at the research, the top four things that people are worried about, uh, and the number one is job security, um, health, childcare and schooling, personal finances. So uh, I think we need to be mindful and the leaders need to be mindful of this when they are dealing with their, uh, with, their, with their employees and their staff. And they should not forget to ask, how are you doing? You know, the work of course is important, but you need to take care of people, you need to take care of each other, the organization and the ecosystem that we are in. So, um, you know, the, these, these, these require extra empathy from everyone. Um, in terms of engagement, there are so many other opportunities as well that it brings because um, one, um, you know, you have kind of a bit more time to, no, you don't have to travel to an event like this. You know, a lot of people who are attending this um, probably may not have traveled to CBD to see us, but uh, they are probably jumping in. So similarly, you know, learning and uh, learning and development online courses. So, you know, companies can encourage the team to, 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 to take on a bit more of those fronts as well um, and make them feel a bit more, um, you know, uh, loved and, um, you know, engaged. Yes, I, I totally agree, Nina. I'm aligned with you on that. So moving on, um, it's a topic that I personally take very seriously. It's the element of mental health of the workforce. There's always been a stigma surrounding mental health, especially true in developing countries in Asia, perhaps even in Singapore. But now more than ever, companies have to be more open and accepting of mental health issues in the workforce and provide support for those who suffer from it. Especially so for those who are living alone and confined to their homes 24-7. And uh, it must be tough you know, emotionally, psychologically, and not to mention the struggling parents with young children who are undergoing home-based learning. So uh, back to you, Lee. Are there practices in your organizations to address uh, employees' mental health issues and ensure their well-being is being taken care of? Yeah, so the, the short answer is yes. It's, it's always a tough one, though, because of the cultural taboos, as you point out, in, um, you know, not necessarily in Singapore, but in Asia as a whole um you know from from an official programs point of view you know there are helplines support lines all, all, all of that kind of stuff um but i think 
I think the biggest thing that kind of, you know, if I think about me and my team, one of the things that just putting the emphasis on is not so much the formal programs, because I think those are, I don't think they give much value to the audience. Everyone's kind of, well, you know, uh, relatively up to date with them and the helplines and the government lines and, you know, the, the official channels. But it's actually just building it into, as, as Nina and Evelyn were saying, the engagement overall. overall. Um, and just taking that extra step, like, you know, with my team uh, the other weekend, I actually set my team an objective for the weekend, which was to reach out to everyone they know who is living alone. <laughs> you know and, and just actually take that time to have a call you know one of my one of my best mates in the world he's a he's a single guy living alone in the UK about 300 miles away from his parents so you know it's just just taking that time to actually be empathetic not just within the work workplace or from or from an employee point of view but just taking that that step back and looking at everyone as humans and having a human empathy around this right now and obviously doing that within the workplace as well. There's a guy in our HR team who is, uh, um, he's an expat, he's a single guy, he's living alone at the moment. He hasn't been, you know, he hasn't seen another human being for like six weeks. So every time, you know, I don't, I don't email him or, or WhatsApp him or whatever. Every time I want to talk to him, I give him a call, and, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a lot of the little things I think that are making up a lot more of it than just the official big programs, because those are well documented. They were, you know, around mostly before that and also as has been rightfully pointed out by the you know the other two on the panel is taking into account that burnout factor as well because right. like um one of my team turned around to me very early on because uh, they've never worked from home remotely before and i was preparing all of my team like you know the when I was working in London many years ago, I was in a global role and I used to wake up at 5 a.m. for Asia and I was still on the line at 10 p.m. for the U.S., right? And so I, I, I went through that firsthand. And so I was telling them, hey, look, <laughs> you need to get to a point where you need to tell me clear boundaries. Right. So they're waking up early and, you know, they're choosing to start work at like 7.30 in the morning. And so actually working with them to put in place that I'm not allowed to message them after 5 o'clock. You know, I've done a similar thing. I do not look at my emails after 5.30 because I'm looking at my emails at 7 a.m. You know, and everyone's got my mobile, so if there's an emergency, someone's going to die or WhatsApp me. Uh, just putting in place that kind of stuff. Um, others are choosing to work until 10 o'clock at night every day, but they're taking two hours out between like two and four to do some stuff with the kids and get them a workout video. You know, like, so there's a lot of kind of things that are in place, but almost informally, and I think this is where what Nina was saying about chief empathy officers and just, just managers just being able to understand and have that compassion uh, and starting to treat people as human beings, not workers who are there to do what they're told. And, you know, that's really what I'm seeing firsthand for us as an organization. Lots and lots of groups of this. People are setting up um, Zoom chats to have lunch together or to do, you know, we had 50 people doing, um, we're still doing some engagement activities. So we're still doing company yoga. We're obviously doing it remotely. And so 50 people are signing on at 6 p.m. to do uh, yoga workouts together on Zoom, you know. So, but it's just trying to foster that sense of community and making sure we're not forgetting. Okay, thanks, Lee. Uh, quickly moving on to Evelyn, uh, back to you. Uh, you had some thoughts on this just now. Yeah, could you maybe share? Yes, so I was sharing that um, companies, you know, leaders, uh, co-workers, we all really need to 
um, keep a lookout for each other and how we actually manage our own work. Um, I think Lee brought up a good point about setting boundaries. I think that is essential uh, for the sake of our mental well-being and something that we have just put in place and we will be just trying it out for the first time ourselves as a team is to introduce a system of um, having a buddy um, because we realize that you know the the manager or you know, the senior leaders they may not always have enough time to, to just engage um, sufficiently on a one-on-one -on -one basis with everyone and we feel that with a buddy system um, it's it's really helpful because it means that you have someone to turn to um, and it could be about work or it could be completely you know um, random anything you know and I feel that um, that could be something that um, all of us could need just to have that, um, that support in, in the workplace and, and knowing that um, you're not alone. I think that's an important um, resource that we can think about. So we're just trying it out ourselves, see how it goes. Great, great Evelyn. And um, you know, just to add, I think um, feeling supported by managers in the area of health is definitely a top differentiator for employees. And uh, those who feel supported also feel leadership is effectively leading the organization through the pandemic, right? Okay, so quickly, uh, in the interest of time, moving on, um, Nina, uh, let's talk about hiring. During, yeah. the, you know, during this time, with the current layoffs and hiring freeze across uh, many industries, how has recruiting changed during COVID-19? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, on one hand, you have a certain uh, segment of the industry which has gone into a freeze mode, layoffs, and, and everything is doom and gloom, you know. And on the other side, um, there are very, very buoyant industries like the Amazons and the delivery companies and the e-commerce logistics and so on. So it's, it's, it is, it is a, a, a very odd time here. So, um, of course, you know, I think we also have to remember that uh, companies, um, especially the companies who are um, smart, are not just working for today. Um, they are working for today, tomorrow, and day after tomorrow. Um, and yes, today's need is to have social distancing and technology. So obviously, the, the paramount importance is how do we, uh, you know, cut short the disruption and move to the next phase and 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 quickly quickly adapt to the new change so um you know hiring i think is still happening um and uh, whether it is uh, you know whether it's a small company or a large company whether so the, of course the most buoyant uh, industries are hiring but even tech companies are hiring we continue to hire um uh, we have to also remember that uh, companies who hire who have a very strong campus program uh, need to they cannot miss the cycle, you know, the students are going to come out now in the summer. If they miss the cycle, uh, they're going to be lapped up by the competition. So hiring is going on, hiring is still happening. Um, where it is not happening is uh, perhaps in very, very senior positions, you know, when it comes to a CEO change or a CXO change, uh, people are saying, let's hang in there, let things stabilize, let's not have too many moving parts. So uh, that is one big change. Um, I think also for the critical roles, companies are adopting a, you know, um, um, a measure to give it internally and have more job rotation rather than bring somebody from outside um, you know, for, for very, very mission critical roles. So I think that's the other shift that has happened. So a lot of importance is being given to uh, internal mobility, uh, job rotations and, um, you know, but of course the bottom line is that everybody is expected to do uh, much more work. Uh, they're expected to work harder than what they are, they are working at the moment. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know, but again, just like we, we jumped into this, humans are such uh, that, you know, we adapt very quickly. Um, when, when all of this settles, we will jump back to the normal again. But of course, uh, some things will remain forever. For example, you know, more acceptance around working from home and so on. Right. And, um, you know, having conducted hundreds of interviews myself, face-to-face -face interviews are tricky as it is. Video interviews should be, you know, even more challenging. So what are your thoughts on that? And, uh, you know, for those who are still hiring, what, what best advice could you offer to hiring managers to approach their recruitment efforts? And also maybe yeah. speak a bit about technology during this time. Sure, sure. Now, of course, as you know, Zopa as a founder, uh, you know, uh, having spent 20 years in HR, hiring, executive search, the reason I moved to, I mean, I set up Zopa was purely because we wanted to get rid of subjectivity in hiring. Um, and now we are finally seeing that uh, actually come to fruition because um, companies are now really lapping up technology. You know, they are, they are relying on AI, they are relying on all the additional tools that technology is bringing. So artificial intelligence is, is taking a big front, front seat. Uh, video interviewing, and this I'm talking about the video interviewing on demand, which is you get a link, you don't have to, it's not a Zoom or a Microsoft Teams, it's a link you get um, and you can do it within 48 hours. So, um, you know, so that's a great technology again. Um, and in a way, companies feel it helps them to take a step back and not get influenced by the biases um, and, and, and kind of look at their hiring a bit more meaningfully and a bit more objectively. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, there are, there's a lot of good that is coming out as well, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Moving on, uh, I'll throw this question to all the panelists. To thrive in today's uncertain environment, leaders must become digital triathletes, strategists, innovator, and driver. Can you share your thoughts on what leadership uh, digital leadership entails, and what do HR leaders need to do to meet these expectations? Um, Evelyn, would you like to um, go first? Sure. Um, yeah, you're right, you know, um, and I think we, we've discussed about this earlier with this COVID-19 situation. Um, mm -hmm. It has really propelled us, you know, um, globally right into um, the adoption of technology in a very big way. So indeed, um, HR leaders and, and other uh, leaders, you know, how do we respond to this? Um, I think for companies that are um, or were considering, you know, how much to invest in technology, um, very clearly now they they can see that it's it's actually not a matter of um, should I or should I should I not. It's it's really um, how far should I go into it. So I think that's something that is um, not a question anymore. And I think then it's the duty um, of the, the leadership and HR team as well you know, who are involved um, to really do that due diligence to understand what technology can do for them and how much they can leverage. At the end of the day, um, as I always like to say, it's about the mindset. Technology is an enabler, but you need to be prepared to really um, leverage it to its fullest potential. Um, so I think with that, it's actually about having the right vision, having a very strategic vision. And I think um, with today's environment, companies are really pushed to, to reimagine um, their entire business um, at scale because the way we deliver services, um, the way we produce our products, 
um, may change. The, the business model you know, could change overnight. And we have seen how some companies are really doing that, you know, um, really pivoting and using technology um, to enable them to do that. So I think the, the ability to be very strategic um, to, to respond uh, with agility in today's complex and highly ambiguous environment is very key. But it's not easy. So I would say that teams um, really play a big role. It's not just about individual leaders. It's about teams coming together collectively um, and, and really being very um, clear about you know, what they can pursue uh, case in point, for example, Airbnb, I'm sure many of you will have read about how they are um, actually relooking at their entire model. And, and with, that, with that strategy, they are thinking about what sort of skill sets they need in order to succeed. So that has to translate into an understanding of the kind of talent that you need as an organization. And I think that's very key because without the right people, it's going to be very hard to succeed. I could Thank go you. on and on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Over to you, Lee. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so look, I'll, I'll try and keep this brief because um, Evelyn's covered a lot of it there. Look, for me, look, I've, I've taken multiple companies through digital transformation now. You know, one digital transformation is not new, right? Like, I always joke that digital transformation, the only companies that talk about this are the ones who didn't do what they were supposed to do 5, 10, 15 years ago right? Um, digital transformation from a technology point of view is actually the easiest thing in the world, right? You buy the technology, you implement it, right? But the truth behind digital transformation is it has, it's about people, not technology. Because what happens to most of these firms is they go out and go, okay, we're going to implement this new video interview software or this new HR system or this new way to acquire customers. They spend however much money they spend, they implement the technology, and then no one uses it because they haven't focused on the people part. And the true success of any organization and any digital, any leader that wants to take their company through digital or their team through digital is to focus on the change management side of things, right? Because the technology itself is meaningless. You know, I see so many organizations so let's say their process is 10% efficient at the moment. They buy the piece of technology, put everyone in a 30-minute training session, and then they expect them to be at 100% uh, usage on the following week. You know, it doesn't work that way. It's about taking organizations from 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 100, maybe over 18 months. And maybe you implement the technology today, but people aren't using it efficiently until the middle of next year. But it's about focusing on that journey beyond it. And the other element to this uh, that I've been thinking about lately is, you know, basically creative destruction. You know, the truth is that 99% of organizations are not going to, you know, are not doing well with digital. There's a reason 50% of the Fortune 500 has disappeared in the last decade. It's because they're not willing to do what Netflix did with creative destruction, which is to take your existing business model and turn it on its head. You know, Netflix actually still has a DVD delivery service. <laughs> they don't make any money in it anymore. Um, but, you know, the organization has to be willing to take that long-term view as well. So it's, it's, the, it's the courageousness of a leader to do that and to reevaluate the business model and push along in that and take the people with them, you know, because the technology is not the answer on its own. 
Great points, Lee. Thank you. Um, moving over to Nina before we move on to the next question. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, you know, being, being, we are a tech, HR tech firm ourselves. So uh, I would just say three things are the most important. One is adopt, use, collaborate, you know. Um, you know, like Evelyn and Lee just said, technology is as good as you use it, you know. So, um, so you have to have a culture of adoption and uh, using it and, and making sure that you get best out of the technology. So that I think that culture of adoption and acceptance and really kind of, um, um, you know, getting the best out of it is, is very, very important, which we are beginning to see now, um, which, is, which, is, which is an important, you know, interesting shift. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. So moving on, you know, amidst the gloom, surely it hasn't been all bad news. You know, uh, personally, it has been a steep learning curve for all of us, but in Golden Equator, you know, we have seen an increase in employee engagement. So we use Office Vibe to conduct surveys, collect feedback, and, uh, and, and our engagement scores have actually been increasing in the last two months, hitting a high actually. So, uh, and it, it has also given, you know, management the time to take a step back, to reflect, reevaluate re our current position and long-term goals. Could you guys uh, very quickly just share some wins you see coming out of this uh, whole situation? Uh, yeah, perhaps. I can dive in. Uh, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, the way the hiring, hiring is going to change, uh, starting from the way things are now, uh, it's going to be more skill-based hiring. Um, and uh, uh, so I think the good that is coming out, one of the biggest things that I'm really excited about is that more women are going to be in the workforce because the acceptance of working from home, flexi working is going to be something that is not this exotic uh, thing only some companies offer. Um, Secondly, house husbands, um, you know, we will see a lot of lot more house husbands getting involved in the workforce. And I think that is very, very cool. Thirdly, and very close to my heart is, um, you know, pe people with, uh, for example, um, you know, mild mental health or autism, uh, there'll be a lot more acceptance to work from home. And, uh, you know, again, it's all about skill-based hiring. So, you know, they'll be hired for the right skills and, and, and to get the job done. Um, but I also feel that, you know, the way work is, uh, uh, this is going to also change the way people work. Uh, the, the typical nine to five work is going to become a bit more disrupted. Um, you know, people are going to be a bit more uh, demanding on flexi, flexi working. Um, and, uh, you know, people might tend to kind of take multiple projects than be kind of um, attached to just one nine to five uh, assignment. Okay, thank you, Nina. Um, Evelyn? Um, I think, you know, there is actually going to be a lot of good that's coming out of this, and we can see it already. Um, the society is actually demonstrating so much uh, goodwill and generosity. Um, and I think that actually it's the same for the ecosystem that we work within. Uh, we see people who are um, genuinely um, interested to, to partner. And I think that could lead to um, awesome things because uh, it could lead to new ways of working, new um, alliances, new revenue streams. So a, a lot of um, new things, I think, that could emerge. Um, so I think that's the, the good, good part of it. And I think in terms of the workforce, um, people are becoming a lot more agile in learning new things and having a very open mindset and just being a lot more adaptable, which I think is really good for us because uh, we're just getting more resilient and, and it's helping us to be also more innovative 
So I think um, there's a lot of good that's coming out of it. Uh, you see a lot of um, creative ideas, new ways of doing things that um, nobody thought would be possible. So I think that that's the, the awesome things, you know, that we can look forward to. Thank you, Evelyn. And uh, Lee. Cool. I'll keep this quick because I'm conscious of time. But um, number one, um, badly run businesses with outdated practices are not going to survive this. You know, I think that's the biggest win for all employees around the world because, you know, that results in better working conditions, better working environments, uh, more flexibility with their own career, work-life balance, et cetera, et cetera. Whether that happens today or over the next five years, that's up for debate. Um, but it is what will ultimately uh, win out. The other thing I want to highlight is what Nina just said, um, particularly with people with disabilities. You know, like um, we um, had a new starter in, my, in our very own team this week, um, who is a person with disability. Um, and I was having phone calls with uh, one of their, the leader of their biggest business unit here in Singapore. Uh, one of their buildings is very, very old. Um, so it's very hard to get people, for example, with wheelchairs um, into the office. So as an organization, you know, we, we, we have people with disabilities in our, in our workforce. We have had for um, many years and we, we obviously want to continue to expand that. Now that we don't need to worry about getting that person into the office, that opens up our ability. And we're actually um, um, going to be reaching out not just to this community, but I'm actually going to be reaching out to all of their competitors um, later on this month to try and set up uh, some sort of community where we can now, as an industry, actually do more for this group of people. Because in Singapore, it's something like 94 or 96% of people with disabilities actually don't have a job. So, um, you know, in Singapore, that's a very big win. That's great, Lee. I, I, I love that story. So um, moving on, uh, we have the Q&A. Uh, there are... A number of questions. We have five questions that came in. Um, so let's get underway with that. So the first question is from Shirley. Um, her question is, would employers be looking at new sets of qualities and expectations when hiring, retaining and managing uh, resources? What is important for me or opportunist for me as an employee to come out on top post COVID-19? Yeah, I'm happy to take that. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I think the set, uh, the skill set is going to change. One is, like I said, um, you know, jobs are going to be more skill-based. So there's going to be much more skill-based hiring um, as opposed to uh, broad-based. So you know, um, so I think that is that is that is very good, which is going to again lead to a cluster of uh, multiple things that a person can do. Um, yeah, so uh, I think flexibility, adaptability, um, agility to change um, is, is something that uh, companies are absolutely going to be very, very finicky about, uh, you know, uh, how soon can you just, you know, um, just switch on and switch off and, you know, um, and, and jump into and change out of the situation. So I think flexibility, uh, learning, learning ability, uh, learning on the job, skill-based hiring, I think that, that's, that's really going to be key. Thank you, Nina. Um, moving on to the next question. Uh, this is from Balas. Um, I have, uh, how do you think possible burnout should be managed during turbulent times? Remote working means much more freedom, but as Evelyn mentioned, for someone who is not used to, be, uh, to, to it, can be much more frustrating since a lot of people is, uh, 
uh, are working much more extended hours. Evelyn, would you like to take this question? <laughs> sure. So I can share a little bit about my routine. So I realized that when I don't have enough time um, outside, you know, um, it kind of drives me bananas and, you know, the cabin fever kicks in. So what I do is I, I make sure I have enough time um, exercising outside. Um, so every morning uh, I spend some time doing that or I would take walks at least or I would, you know, just jump on my bicycle and, and make sure I get some fresh air, some sunshine, you know, and have some time just to be with my own thoughts, which is so important because, you know, um, when you're in an environment where you're not alone and, you know, and there's a lot going around you, you need to make sure that you preserve that me time so that there is um, enough time for you to process your thoughts um, so that you feel that you're energized for the day and that you get clarity of mind, which I feel is very important. Um, so I think just some time to shut yourself out of the noise is, is very important. Um, build that in. And I do that again in the evening. Uh, I always make sure that you know, I, I, I do some form of exercise or I get out again um, in the evening. So that's my routine. Um, and I find that it's also very important to say that when I have done enough of the day, I'm going to stop here, you know, and mm. I'm, I'm just not going to work anymore. So I think those are important reminders to ourselves um, to, to really take care of ourselves um, and, and not to actually work ourselves into the ground because that way we are not going to be, you know, useful to anyone. So I think just being very mindful of that. Thank you, Evelyn. And Jeremy, if I can just add on one thing to that, if you don't mind, um, I think the core word that we should be keeping in mind when it comes to that, and Evelyn alluded to it, but it's simple accountability. You know, so as employees, we have an employment contract. It says we're meant to work eight hours a day or whatever it is, right? So there comes a point where as individuals, we just need to take that accountability as well and go, no, I'm turning off. Right, you know, and, and that's something I think that has to come out of this is people to take more responsibility for what they're actually doing as well. Can't you blame the boss? The boss may want you to work 15 hours a day. Legally, you don't have to. Yeah, and if I could jump on to that as well, and I think maybe there is also some anxiety because you feel that I need to prove my worth. You know, I need to make sure I'm delivering and, and, and that, you know, my, my, my boss can see that, you know, I'm getting all these things done. So I, I think perhaps, you know, that's another challenge that um, more of us are struggling with, you know, trying to make sure that our work is visible enough and having to prove that we are truly, you know, uh, worth our wages, so to speak. So I think, uh, again, you know, how the, the leaders um, work with their teams and, and give them that, that sense of um, security is very, very critical. Uh, that definitely helps with, I think, the, the mental well-being as well. Thank you. Thank you, Evelyn. Sure. Next question comes from Adam. Um, there has been a lot of discussion around how the world has changed forever now. Um, does the panel think it has? Or will, it, will we just go back to the way we were very quickly? 100%. Um, it's definitely changed. The, what will happen, so without wanting to give everyone a very long history lesson, um, the Black Death, right? If you go back to then, that fundamentally changed, you know, um, the worker-boss relationship as well. 
right? But it didn't happen overnight. Back then you had um, what was known as the serfs and the landowners. So the landowners would just have you work until basically for free and you, you know, die or whatever, until you die or whatever else. Um, you know, when the Black Death happened, you know, that changed the working conditions. And so what happened was a certain group of employees stood up and went, well, hold on a minute, I'm not working for free anymore. <laughs> and if, you know, and all of a sudden they, you know, I know my value of my worth, therefore I'm going to go and work for this landowner over here because he's offering better conditions. That's fun, you know, and the macroeconomic situation of that was before the Black Death, Eastern Europe was rich and Western Europe was poor, right? And Western Europe adapted and Eastern Europe didn't, and the rest is history, as they say. That's what will happen here. Whether it happens today, as soon as this is over and COVID is gone, employers will try to go back to how it was, right? For the most part. What's gonna happen, whether that is this year, next year, definitely over the course of this decade, is an entire generation of workers now know they do not have to be in the office nine to five. They don't have to be there for those meetings. They don't have to be at that training center for the training. They don't have to meet that customer for that sale. And so what's gonna happen over the next 12 months, five years, 10 years, is employees are gonna self-select themselves out of organizations that refuse to change. And those organizations that don't adopt modern practices and try to stick to the status quo of what it was like before will cease to exist the same way as has happened through every major upheaval of the workforce and technological transformation. Right, thank you, Lee. Yeah, if I can add here, you know, my view is, you know, um, it's not all or nothing, right? Um, right now it's nothing. It's like we have made a dramatic change. So they're going to be somewhere in the middle with a lot of awareness around us uh, on things that we thought were not possible. For example, we didn't think that we could do client meetings online. We had to travel 12 hours to go and meet, meet, a, meet a client to do that deal. So I think some of those good practices are going to come through. So it's, we are going to be somewhere, take, take the good from this um, and, uh, and a bit, be a bit more mindful of uh, how we're going to be working going forward. Yeah. Right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Nina. So moving on to, uh, we have a few more questions, so I hope to cover all of them. Um, so moving on to, um, this one is from Asir. It's always easier said than done, setting boundaries, but a lot of employees are still struggling with this whole sense of isolation. Due to the situation, given that we are all confined to a predefined space, how could we encourage and inspire our employees to still have the drive to carry on working efficiently and with positivity? So very quickly, could I throw this out to um, the, the, the panel? Actually, I think that it's a great point because that emphasizes our humanness, right? So it goes to show that we still actually, in many ways, desire to have that human connection, that human touch. Um, so while it's true that a lot of things can now be done virtually, remotely, um, I think that point actually reinforces the fact that we, we do embrace that, you know, that part of us. Um, so I feel that, um, yes, it's difficult to put in place boundaries sometimes, um, but, but it could be a very simple thing. You know, I think just now uh, we talked about yoga class, you know, uh, as, as a team. I think those things can actually be great um, to do together. And if you can't do it together, do it on your own. Just lots of free YouTube exercise videos, you know, when the clock hits six, just stop and, and 
do something that it's not work. Um, so go and get some exercise. And it's, it's really important that we get our exercise during this time because um, we, we are just a lot more sedentary you know, than usual. It affects our ability to, to think clearly even. So I think those are little things. Um, and meal times, you know, uh, perhaps instead of just a 10-minute lunch, you know, stretch it out, um, read something that's non-work related, connect with your friends. I think um, that has also come, you know, um, to, to the fore a lot more that people are connecting with people a lot more because they feel they, they want that human connection. So reach out to people who are not your co-workers, for example. Do something with your family. I would say perhaps those are the things that you could try out. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Evelyn. The next one uh, is for Nina. Um, we have a number of significant companies announcing work from home for most, uh, for most staff until at least uh, 2021. Will this impact effective hiring? A person or even whole teams be hired totally based on remote interviews and then proceed to work remotely and never ever meet their manager or colleagues? <laughs> yeah. Um... We've just hired two people uh, who are totally working from home. Uh, they, I, I hope I will meet them soon. Um, but uh, I, I think it's possible. Again, um, you know, uh, companies are going to, of course, be very clear about what is the position they're hiring, what are the skills they're hiring. They're going to be much more mindful about uh, what is going to be, um, you know, the, the role of this person. So it's going to be a bit more structured from that perspective. Um, you know, again, like I, I will repeat that there's going to be a lot of skill-based hiring. You know, I need the skill. I need somebody in Python or I need somebody in inside sales or customer success. So it's going to be very, very clearly defined. So I think hiring is definitely going to go on. Companies cannot, I mean, at least companies who are, um, you know, moving forward uh, cannot afford not to, not to you know, if you need a customer success man manager, you need a customer success manager. So it is it is very true. Um, I think a lot of uh, remote workers may not even meet their colleagues. Um, but uh, and I think this is definitely going to spur a lot of, uh, you know, further gig economy. Um, and, uh, you know, so so, yeah, I mean, like I, I'll repeat again, people will land up there is going to be a significant shift in uh, an individual's attitude towards work as well. Um, they may hold multiple projects uh, and instead of just being confined to one. So long story short, yes, it is uh, hiring is happening. Our platform is being used by a lot of clients. Uh, they, are get, they are hiring. So, you know, that is still going on. Um, okay, thank you, Nina. The next question uh, comes from Gibson. Uh, what does the panel think uh, major changes to the workforce, work behavior post COVID-19? Lee, Lee has already um, you know, touched on that a bit. Maybe I'll throw this over to uh, Evelyn and Nina. Yeah, I, I can jump in here. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, KPIs are going to be extremely um, outcome-based um, you know when you are in a company and you you know you, you can see what the others are doing uh, sometimes there is that little bit of um, extra indulgence if the results are not met um, unfortunately I think um, the the expectation on outcome is going to go up um, you know the the so because the focus on effort is not not going to be visible. So um, so so there is going to be a bit more demand on uh, you know on, on so it's definitely going to be very outcome based management, uh, especially when you're working remotely. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, Nina. 
Yeah, and if I may add, I would think that um, leaders probably have a different view regarding constraints. Um, so the question would be, is this indeed a true constraint, you know, as to why, you know, certain approaches or certain methodologies may not work? Because I think um, what has transpired has shown us that in, in many ways, lots of things are actually possible. Things can be done in a very creative and innovative way. So I think there would be that expectation that, you know, that individuals or teams would actually go the extra mile to innovate and, and to, to come up with, you know, more creative solutions and to work around constraints. Um, so I think that would actually be um, an expectation, I believe. Okay, thank you, Evelyn. Um, the next question, uh, due to these times, uh, should job seekers expect a quicker response or be more understanding that hiring uh, is, you know, slowed down due to adapting to the new norm? Perhaps Nina could share. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't agree that the hiring has slowed down. Uh, uh, some industries, of course, have completely frozen and there are others that are very, very buoyant. So, you know, it's a very subjective uh, it depends on where you are hiring and which sector of the market it is. Uh, clearly, if you're going to, uh, you know, sign up for a hospitality, uh, you know, position, it's not going to move that quickly. Uh, so I think you need to be a little more mindful about where you're applying if you are in a hurry as a job seeker to get into another role. So you, you, need, to, you need to kind of understand the dynamics of the ecosystem at the moment. Uh, Thank you, Dina. Another one for you. Uh, what job sectors do you think are least affected by COVID? Um, tech, you know, mm -hmm. tech is tech is very uh, friendly to remote working. Um, you know, they they are they are open to that. It has all. It is not COVID that has driven them to be flexible, flexi timing or remote working. So they have of course adapted very very quickly. Um, uh, there are some markets, of course, as we know, hospitality, which are badly hurt, uh, you know, travel is badly hurt, food preparation, cleaning, uh, construction. Um, so, uh, you know, so, so, the, so I, I would say the, you know, um, that there are some which are very, very doing very well, the Amazons of the world and the Alibabas of the world, um, and whereas some are really struggling. Thank you. And uh, the we have the last two questions. Uh, the next one comes from Hannah. How do you see business travel being factored back into work, especially as Singapore works out travel agreements with other countries? And how can we manage this for our staff? Do you guys have any thoughts on this? I, I see Evelyn's also unmuted. Evelyn, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I know, I, I was just going to share my observation, um, which is that, you know, China as, as a market is already, um, you know, in some ways, restarting, you know, things are slowly going back to, to norm, normal, yeah. Um, and we see a lot more um, domestic travel going on. So I think in time to come, um, companies, Chinese companies, particularly based in Singapore, would probably start to have an expectation, you know, that their, their people should start being uh, a little bit more uh, active in terms of, you know, visiting their clients, you know, those who are in sales and so on. So, um, I think depending on how our government, you know, um, eases the measures, um, there might actually, you might start seeing um, some level of travel um, simply because, you know, um, 
the businesses need it. You know, some of these businesses need it. Uh, but I would say overall, probably the response would be generally still pretty conservative because um, employees do need to feel like um, they're not overly risking themselves or you know, overly exposed. So I think it's balancing that and, and making sure that um, companies are very, very mindful and, and really watching out because we all know that you know, there's a real possibility of um, second wave returning, right? With, with what we have observed. Yeah. Mm. And I'd add on to that just a, a, two things I guess I'd add on to that. One is you've just got the traditional, whenever there's a recession, the first thing that gets slashed is other than the marketing budget is usually the business travel budget. You know, so that would obviously have a knock-on effect in the short term. But I think the other thing with this is it's, there's travel that would have, I think there's going to be a new question around what travel is actually necessary, right? Because before everything was, hey, well, I need to go to China or Malaysia or wherever to do a deal. But like um, in this past week, I've signed a contract for a new technology solution. Never met the company. They're based in Australia, did everything via Skype, you know, and Teams and WebEx and Zoom. Like, you know, so, did, you know, traditionally they would have flown over, they'd have done a presentation, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Didn't need to do any of that, you know. So I think it would be more of a case of people then looking at their budgets. And, you know, I've already seen some CFOs kind of, realize even now with office space oh hold on we don't need <laughs> an office for every single one of their employees so once the money men get involved i think or the money women get involved it just becomes that thing of actually why are you traveling in the first place and i think there'll be some interesting changes on behavior i don't know what they will be but there def there's definitely going to be some sort of knock-on effect now that people realize they don't have to be in that office uh, all the time you know in whichever location Great, thanks, thanks, Lee. Uh, we have overrun on our time. I guess we could squeeze in one last question. Uh, this comes from Kareen. Do you foresee a change in performance management measurement? Should I take that as the HR person? <laughs> um, short answer is I hope so, but I hope so long before this situation anyway. Um, I think, look, one of the, the honest truths around performance management, and I've, I've seen a number of my LinkedIn followers in the attendee list, so they see me rant about this regularly, but it's how performance is measured anyway, right? You know, how many people are doing effective goal setting, actually measuring performance throughout the year so that the year-end performance process is actually valid, right? And, you know, Evelyn is the HR consulting person, or yourself, Jeremy, you, you will know this anyway. It would be one of the biggest questions you get from all of your clients all of the time. How do we actually measure and make sure we promote the right person or so on and so forth? What this will do or what this should do is it's taken away a lot of the biases in the process, right? Because I may like Evelyn more because we have lunch every day. Therefore, when it comes to performance review, Evelyn then gets a slightly better review than you, Jeremy, right? Or we go for beers and, you know, a lot of that. Or I see you working late every night, so you must be working hard. So what this should actually do, or at least the companies that perform better after this, is actually selling proper smart goals that are, you know, there for a specific purpose and then are awarding, uh, promoting pay rises, bonuses on actually hidden deliverables, not a set of inputs or FaceTime in the office or, or whatever else. So I think that's what the outcome would be. It was the outcome that was needed beforehand. And I think this might be 
especially if there's less people in the office moving forward, the accelerator needed to, to make that happen. Great. Thank, thanks, Lee. I, I do agree with you. Okay, uh, it's been a privilege to be speaking with all my panelists. Uh, there were definitely some invaluable takeaways for me. Uh, you know, thank you to everyone who took time away to participate in this webinar. I'll now hand over to Sophia to wrap this session up. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, panelists, for the great insights. Lee, Evelyn, Nina, fantastic uh, webinar we have today. So, uh, and thank you, participants, for joining today's webinar. I know that there are a couple of questions um, uh, there that we haven't managed to uh, address, but uh, we'll address this offline. So um, at the same time, let me, um, you know, uh, share with you um, next Thursday, we have another webinar, which is on the technology for the betterment of humanity. Um, we will feature Mr. Lim Huichie. He is the founder of Vision Group. So he's also this year's recipient of National Youth Entrepreneur Award by Action Community for Entrepreneurship. So um, I look forward to joining you and um, uh, Huichie for the session. And thank you again, panelists. Um, fantastic session. Um, we hope to have uh, you participants to join us again uh, for similar uh, webinars. So um, before you end, um, after the session, please help us to fill up the survey for us to improve on our webinars as well. So um, thank you. Have a good evening. And everyone, stay safe. Keep well. Thank you very much. See you.